Hello and welcome to Dungeons and Drama Nerds. My name is Nick Orvis, and today I'm joined by the cast of our incredible Brindlewood Bay adventure. We're here to talk about the many mysterious goings-on of that small New England town and how the campaign went. Let's go around and share names, pronouns if you'd like, and just a, a reminder for the last time of the role you played in this campaign, starting with Meeks. Yep, uh, I'm C. Meeks Meeker. I was the keeper of Brindlewood Bay. My pronouns are they or she. And next up is Ben. I am the shit king. All <laughs> <laughs> hail! Oh, listen, listen to the listen to the sting after the credits for an explanation yep, of that. I, I played I played Lane Walter, and I am the shit king. Thank you, Ben. Uh, Corey. Hi, I'm Corey Flores. I brought out the she, her, and I played Baby Garcia. Chris. Hello, I'm Chris Dierkson. Uh, my pronouns are they, he, and I played um, Eddie Rue Dubois. And finally, Shannon. I'm Shannon Wade, she, her, hers, and I played Doris Makoviak. Thank you so much, everybody, and thanks for being here again. Um, this was a lovely campaign, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about it. So to kick things off, uh, I know that some people here had not played Brindlewood Bay before this, not this recording, but this campaign. Um, for those of you who are wholly new to this game, how did that go? Uh, what, what did you really enjoy? What caught you off guard? And would you play it again? Who had not played before? Me. I had not. I had not. It seems like all of us but Meeks. I have the not. Cast. I was going to say everybody but Meeks, because Meeks, I think you played some I did my homework. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good student, so I did my homework. Of course you are. Yeah. Well, we'll start with the players then. Were there things that uh, you, the four of you really were excited by or were surprised by? And would you play it again? I was excited about, and I know y'all did a whole episode about this, but I really liked how cozy it was and also how spooky it was. And then just the, it, it was just a great build to to get spookier and spookier and like more um, Cthulhu-esque as we went on. I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I loved, I loved learning. And this is also like within the commentary, but just like um, we sort of like, gra I feel like we gradually found the television show mechanics of this as we did it and that was really delightful to like discover and from a mechanical perspective just like this game is meant to be played a certain way and at a certain point like no matter how you start playing it you're going to end up playing it the way it was meant to be played mm. to it like or at least it's going to start drawing you in into like how we should be telling it telling our stories and i thought that was especially with a narrative game which there's so much there's so much um agency given to the players which i think that i certainly i think as we all figured out as we went along like we stopped asking meeks so many questions about what was happening and started just like defining the world for ourselves which is which again is sort of like how this game was played versus sort of like some more traditional TRP, ttrpgs um i loved like discovering that and uh discovering how these beautiful um how the very sparse like character mechanics uh informed by their spare by their like scarcity informed the sort of like narrative choices that ended up like affecting the way these characters changed it was really fun i hadn't really clocked that but you're absolutely right and i'm gl very glad you said it. it it is interesting to listen to the whole campaign and realize oh yes you the four of you took a lot more like agency and ownership as 
the game went on, which was really lovely to see. What about Ben and Corey? Any initial hot takes on Brindlewood Bay? One, it was just after we had our first session, I've worked with some of the cast before and some I haven't. And it was just a very exciting, everybody just clicked really well together. And for me, that just makes gameplay so much easier. I find as someone who is a lot less experienced than most of our cast and team, having people that I feel comfortable around lets me be a little bit more improvisational and just a little bit more at ease. I know when I first started playing, I was always really nervous about like making the wrong move or asking the wrong questions. And so it was a lot easier to make mistakes. And honestly, some of the choices that we made were the most fun ones when they were just impulsive and rash and stupid. And yeah, 10 out of 10. Psychological warfare, fantastic. Would do maybe, it maybe day, just all day. Maybe just fucking, just like letting them know that she's there. Like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the best. Like, it was just, yeah, it was a really good time. And for those of you that are listening, I hope you get to know all of us not just in this, but also in other things that we do, because we really, yeah, it was really, really nice. And also being a cranky old lady is great. Love it. I already am. So I'm just manifesting my future <laughs> and making soup. I do plan to have this voice when I'm old. <laughs> 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 this is how I'm going to speak then. Um, something I do love about this game is that you can fucking die a lot. Um, you can just really die over and over again. Um, and I mean, I think between us all, we died like 10 or 15 times, um, which is cool because ultimately the game is, and I'm saying this ironically, but true it's on rails in that, like the, the core mechanics of the game are you like talk to people and find clues. And then when you have enough clues, you use the mechanics of the game to come up with the answer to the mystery. Like, and so ultimately it's just a bunch of little scenes where like you either get something out of it or you don't. And you know, the game incentivizes you to get something. So you just die if you don't get something. And then if you don't die, you get something so that the game can keep going. Um, like you, you never, uh, except for in the case of failing a, uh, of failing a role to um, theorize, which we never did. <laughs> Barely. Um, Barely. you are not like completely fucked uh you just sort of like briefly go down a little hallway and then continue on with what you're doing because like ultimately like the characters and i mean i like particularly like our characters but the characters in the game are supposed to be like can openers you know they just talk to people and they get information uh i mean it's like disco elysium right like like you just talk to someone and then you like learn a little thing that lets you progress further and further and further and so the game is like you know, it's not one of those games where it's like, there's no way to lose, but it's one of those games where it's like, no, the the game is you keep going and that's the game. Yeah. It actually kind of like encouraged us to die a little bit. It's just like, yeah, fuck around, find Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah bet. <laughs> and building off the theorize point, I remember the very first the first round that we played when we got to the theorize stage, I was still really in the mindset of there's one right answer and I have to put the clues that Meeks gave us together to figure it out. And it took me listening to all of y'all theorize for a while and be like, right, that's not how this works. We can make whatever answer we want and that's the right answer. And that's something that I find really successful about this game because I feel like it takes the pressure off the keeper to be the holder of the answer and make the puzzle hard enough, but not too hard that we get it and satisfying and said it's very, very collaborative, which I thought was awesome and definitely took me a while to mentally shift into, oh yeah, there's, it's whatever answer we want. 
right, we dictate the truth mm-hmm. rather than us trying to figure out the truth. Totally. It's not, it's not a puzzle to figure out. It is a uh, it is an accumulation of clues that will let us come up with the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, and lets you come up with a super creative answer. I'll just say as, as somebody who GMs a lot and has run like a number of mystery mysteries in like D20 games, I will never run a mystery without borrowing or hacking this mechanic somehow again. I just think it's brilliant and like creative and fun. And you can still be wrong because you you all didn't fail a theorized role, but you could. And then you have come up with an answer that turned out to be wrong, if I remember. And then we have to the broadcast two more episodes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yes, exactly. <laughs> or just cut to commercial, which is like, again, like such a brilliant, such a, that, which towards the end, at the end, they literally saved, saved our final void theorization like we're like well we have this mechanic we can do it <laughs> you know oh, shit. right you know which is great i have one more thing to throw in there too which i was just reflecting on is that i really loved how deeply we got to know the town and the characters and the npcs of the town and i feel like you know a lot of the bigger kind of more epic games like D&D 5e and a lot of other ones you just you're going so many places and you're in this town you're in this town you're in this town you're in this town and this was so in one place in a way that felt like a really cool world to live in and that the that Meeks would bring the NPCs back and they would have new information or they would have changed like it was just a really neat it was a very small world to live in but not small in a bad way small in a like it really made me invested in this place that we were in in the game yeah kind of intimate yeah that's Um, thank you that's the word (laughs) intimate and cozy um (laughs) sorry there there, there's (laughs) there's shit talking happening in our zoom chat as well as uh lewd hand gestures happening on the screens I did want to pivot and uh, ask ask Meeks, uh, since you have played this before, admittedly, if I'm remembering correctly, all kind of in preparation for for running it here. Um, did you discover anything new uh, in Brind- in this interaction with Brindlewood Bay um, that you that you hadn't encountered before or that uh, took you by surprise? Was there anything exciting and different? Uh, yeah. Um... <laughs> There's a lot of sex talk in the chat right now. It's very I was going to say, Meeks, Meeks is trying to, to drag themselves away from the uh, chat. You know, I think Eddie Rue's sex life is of great surprise and interest to me constantly. Um, no, uh, to me too. Yeah. Um, Binky blasties, as we say. Um, uh, what was the question? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Uh, just, just whether there was anything that surprised you or you didn't expect uh, in that, that you know, you encountered this time around, even though you had played the game before. Right. Um, so and I can't remember if I said this before or not, but like the, the big difference that um, from this game versus the one that I was sort of running for for my group was that like time was. Uh, like there's this balance of time and horror where you want things to take, where you want horror to take a lot of time. Time is very important because you need the tension. You need all of that tension to build into a horror suspense thing. But then the comedy works because it's supposed to be faster. 
you know, like comedy is timing. And so this was like the weirdest thing to try to balance. And in my home game, it wasn't that hard to balance because it was like, oh, we're not in a rush. We're not recording anything. And so it was just like whatever we're doing. So the biggest surprise here was like, oh, my God, how fast can we make this story go? (laughs) And I think that was like that was sort of the fun part of it. But then also trying to figure out how to balance it into a horror place again um, was always like sort of like the recalibration because we were at sometimes going so, so fast that it was just like joke, joke, joke joke, joke, joke. And then I was like, okay, how am I going to get it back to like the darkness that's coming? Um, uh, you know, and making room for, uh, for fun sexual hand gestures in the meantime. I think you did an incredible job with that personally. Um, <laughs> and, and I will say that that, that was one of the real delights of letting that and what Shannon was talking about, about the, the kind of intimacy and coziness of, all these characters' relationships to each other and the settings um, was one of the, like, really great things about having this longer... I mean, short compared to a home game, long compared to one of our previous games' uh, uh, formats to explore. Yeah, I Um, think I had told you when we first talked that, like... Or when we first talked about me running this game, I was like, yeah, um, just so you know, I've run, like, three mysteries and we haven't even, like, gotten to the void yet. And then there was, like, I think a, like, I think we were emailing, but in my mind, there was, like, a very long pause after that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's probably not going to work. <laughs> but, yeah, we it ended up working out okay. We, we got there. We got there for, for pacing. No it, no, it worked great. And, yeah, I mean, we, we did go back and forth and figured out, like, it was very important to us, uh, to me, Todd and Percy as the producers to let you all take sort of as much space as we could give you because that's what's so like delightful and charming about this game. I think in contrast to j- just to pick on the other time you've jammed for us Meeks, like in contrast to Bluebeard's Bride, for example, which is a super compact, like highly structured one single thing and it's done experience this one kind of unfolds over a much longer um throw so having talked about the game a little bit like in terms of gameplay uh drilling down right into this particular story i wanted to ask what were some moments that really excited or surprised everyone in terms of the actual story is is there a kind of highlights reel you have of story beats or character interactions I can start from a game, like just running the game perspective that none of these players wanted to share information. Like (laughs) none of you wanted to share information. So like it was so bizarre because I was like, I was like, Doris isn't telling anybody about her phone messages. Like how are these going to come into play if she won't tell anybody? Because they could help her figure it out. But if she won't say anything and then like Lane's whole backstory with the director, I was like, great, I want to know more. And it was like trying to figure out ways to get Lane to like share more. But like she wouldn't. And I was just like, okay. And then Eddie Rue as well. Like you were having these um, dreams that you weren't telling anybody about about until very late it felt like and then baby you like left all of this stuff about your dead husbands and every single time I was like trying to like introduce a dead husband so that you would talk about it and you were just like nope and I was like great we're just not going to share information this group is just not talking about certain things you all are very yeah yeah you're very warm and opening about the thingy bangies but you are very like closed off about the other things that was <laughs> a big surprise to Brindlewood Bay with our own secrets you know our lifestyle <laughs> Once we got there, we're not digging the old skellies out of the closet. 
we have enough skellies outside our front door. I was going to say, let's not psychologize the ladies too much, but it is interesting <laughs> to hear you say you're very open about the fingy bangies, but not about any of the other things. Well, I think also mechanically, it was like this was related to the mechanics of the game where like we did the cozy vignettes at the beginning of every episode a little different than other like APs of this I've heard have done where like they're doing it literally like you know, like five second like shots of Jessica Fletcher, like running down a street and the like opening credits. Whereas we were doing like, here's the first two scenes of the show where you see what the characters are up to. And so uh-huh. like, we turned them into that. Um, so it was like, it, it became mechanically about like what's going on. Like let's advance this character's side plot that then will factor a little bit into like their, their given circumstances for the actual full mystery episode. Yeah, we were very, we had a lot of side plots, which I really enjoyed. Which ones were your favorites? Well, yeah, I was just going to say that they really like ended up sort of like we ended up getting there. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like, sure, there were moments where uh, where I think in in the most recent episode that like since this like aired that aired episode at the time of recording, I think at one point I said Lane is involved, but she is not involved. Like like when you were like, I'll go it I'll go into the lot to the to the lighthouse, but I won't look at the picture. And it's like it was a thing. It was like and nobody knew why. And like I like and least of all us. And I was like, oh, okay, All right. Here we go. You know, and like. We, but we get but but it was so it made it all the more satisfying to actually get there when we did get there right like i and and also like there's a little bit of a metagaming going on in the in the cigar too like everybody's we're all watching us have these like private moments so like we know what's up you know what i mean um even if we don't our characters don't so it, i think it was sort of like still fun i just loved really i loved that we all performed for one another I think that was sort of like what made it a great ensemble that there was this real joy. It seemed like everybody, at least I took a lot of joy in performing for you all. And I took a lot, also took a lot of joy in all of your performances uh, that I assumed were for my benefit. Um. (laughs) No, not you, everybody else. I don't know. Uh, Yeah. But I love that. I mean, I, I Lane Lane's whole thing about like seeing a demon on Broadway, like that's I loved that. That was so great that like this is why she's never been on stage. And it was so fun to like look back on it. And it's fun to look back on and like listen to this now and be like, that's why she was so fucking weird when we were, we were at the theater, you know, like when we when I had no idea. You know, that that was what was going on. And she's like, I don't even want to I'm not even going to step on stage. I'm just going to like, you know, it's it's weird for me to be, I'll just be over here yeah. you know, looking at lights. That was very, very cool. Well, it makes you gave me such a bone by like early on (laughs) having like a demon be in my house. So then I didn't have access to that anymore. (laughs) Like I could be like on the porch or upstairs, but I could not be like the first floor of this whole house, which was great because it like gave us dramatic. It gave us like I mean, and it like it allowed Corey, you and me to do a lot of scenes together, which was really fun. Yes, always a good time. (laughs) And I think yeah, and and along those same lines, I think. Less of a really specific moment and more of a a session that the last, I think, session that we had, I was just really struck by just really loving this group as performers and storytellers because we're so wacky and we'd laughed so much throughout this whole campaign. But then 
when the stakes were the highest and we were all like, we're probably all going to die today. Like when we recorded that episode, it was just like the tone totally changed, but it was still so genuine and so genuine to everyone's character. And I just love that this group can can be all over like the whole end of the spectrum from zany to like very serious. And it was just a real treat, a real joy to play with you all. I was going to say that's actually the moment that stands out most in my memory is that I think it will be the last episode or maybe the last like two episodes, depending on how it's broken up. But yeah, that the tone shift was real and it was really like genuinely moving. Um, Yeah, I was just very excited by it. And like you said, Shannon, still felt very true to all of these specific women and their relationships with each other. Tell us more about that, Nick. Compliment us more. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, it does kind of lead into a, another question I wanted to ask, which was about the relationships. Um, because I feel like, you know, for example, Ben has mentioned... <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, fingy blasting the feelings. <laughs> yes, that's that's what that's what Corey just put in our Deserved. Zoom chat. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm calling her I, out. I, <laughs> uh, no, I, I was going to say, you know, Ben mentioned like uh the, the demon in Lane's house kind of forcing Lane and Baby together into having this like very specific relationship cohabiting. And I feel like Lane and Eddie Rue had a very like close but very distinct relationship. And like Doris and Eddie Rue had an entirely different one. So yeah, I was just wondering if you all could, if, if you can't, if, if you're like, conscious of it in your memory think reflect on how that like emerged and what the different relationships felt like to you all because i felt like they were all really rich and like exciting to listen to yeah no we are no i think i i i can speak i can speak to i mean part, part of it is just sort of like it's what happens when friends you know are vulnerable with each other you know i think that's that's part of it but I know, I will say this, as far as like Eddie Rue and Lane, I can say that from my perspective at the very beginning, you know, again, scarcity of st- of statistics and, and you know, we were two characters who both were high on presence. And what was particularly fun about that was that we could be two, we had two very different ways of approaching what that presence meant. You know, Eddie Rue was just going to involve herself in whatever she possibly could. And Lane was going to step back. But but like but like when when Lane wanted it seemed at least from my perspective and Ben, you should absolutely chime in here. But like Lane's presence was one of a uh, when I speak, I'm listened to. You know what I mean? Like and now and now and now I will say something and you all are going to pay attention to it. Right. And I mean, she's really a high fun. status character. Uh, and so yeah. she expects people to treat her like that, um, even when they don't. Right. And then it's yeah. fun when they don't because it's a subversion of her expectations. And then it creates a game in the scene. Yeah. Whereas Eddie Rue's more. And this is this actually like a Maven move. It was part of the Maven sort of like move of her being like like high in high status situations. They underestimate her. Right. And so like allowing these two people to be very close friends, a high status person and, uh, you know, someone who sort of like seems like she shouldn't be there. 
<laughs> well, I think also we we ended up um, like particularly Edaru and Lane, who are who started in the same uh, lane, the uh, other noun, the the non proper yes. noun. Um, yes. We started in that same lane, but then we sort of diverged into like Lane would basically create a scene in order to get people to do what she wanted. Yeah. Um, whereas Eddie Rue went in down like the mystical route and down the like much more like you know like spirit detective style. Yeah. You know she has can shoot a big beam out of her out of her finger like a gun. Um. No. It, like the, she was detecting things through like empathy and understanding with people yeah which was fun too that was also that was definitely a mechanical choice that i was making as a as a as as percy has called it noted min maxer or power gamer um but also it was that was the thing too right i'm looking at the four of us going like well what you know you know and for and and Halle being a part like I think Teddy is such an important part of this and Halle I hope that they're like that they have that they have enjoyed this because so much of what was created in our session zero get on the Patreon so much of what has has was created in that session zero informed what we ended up doing and losing our high spirit like like uh, sensitivity stat party member sort of like left a void ha 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 for to be filled and it was like it was very fun to sort of like build a character one way and then like say all right i'm gonna i'm just gonna make a conscious effort to lean into this empty space this negative space that we have as a party knowing that we're gonna need it moving forward um was very sort of like fun yeah, but and I'll just. About us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I was just going to contextualize because I don't think we've actually talked about this on the podcast feed proper yet. Um, only on the Patreon. So just to expand on what Chris was saying a little bit, um, uh, Hale Roshan was originally slated to play in this game, and they were part of Session Zero. So Teddy was actually Hale's character. Um, they ended up not being able to join for the actual play sessions for personal reasons. Um, hopefully, we will have them on the podcast again soon. Um, but uh, Hale gave us permission to use Teddy as one of these sort of linchpins, since Teddy was already there as a person that everybody else knew and was close to, which I thought was a really, A, a lovely gesture on Hale's part, and B, a wonderful uh narrative idea that i think i think meeks that was your uh your brainchild yeah well i mean i uh Haley and i worked together with with cory and uh, during bluebeard's bride so like i loved everything that Haley was putting down and i was like oh no okay well if we lost you but we've created a lot of characters sort of around each other Oh yeah, you're gonna. If you will let us, it will be a part of the story. But I didn't know. I didn't know how Teddy was gonna be a part. Of, like I really tried to embrace what I think the spirit of the game is, which is to really not have anything super planned out. And so at some point, um, Shannon, I don't remember if you were in indoors character or not, but you were like, I think it's Teddy, and I was like, Oh yeah, 
Maybe that's Teddy. Maybe that's Teddy on the answering machine. That works. Um, Because I said it was a voice that sounded familiar. And I think I had a thought that it was like going to be that it was going to be like a dead loved one or something. But I was like, yeah, well, it'll be Teddy. And then and then at some point I was like, okay, well, that means probably Teddy's dead. Right. That's going to be. And then and then I was like, no, we're not killing Teddy. Like Teddy's Teddy's Teddy lives. But like it was funny how like that all just sort of came about, like like the search for Teddy. I didn't plan that one at all. I just was like it was just sitting there. And then all of a sudden we were like, I guess we're going to go to Teddy's house. And so then I flooded Teddy house because I was like, I don't know how we're going to do, but we'll find some stuff here. Um, so yeah, like, again, I had very little of that planned out. I was just like, I'm just going to use what happens and whatever, like people want to play with. And uh, I think Chris, you were just like, well, I'm very close to Teddy. Therefore, uh, we will go and we'll do this, which made so much sense. And then it was just about what can you find there? Yeah. When I learned that Teddy was the secret voice, which is a really cool reveal, uh, I sort of like then retroactively imagined like Teddy doing like her own mystery, like detecting things like with a big flashlight in dark alleys, like while we were doing our side of the mystery in like probably a different mechanical game. (laughs) (laughs) In a game of gumshoe or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or Call of Cthulhu. I I was going to say I did briefly propose for the... um, we we started doing the like last time on Brindlewood Bay things for the episodes, and I did briefly propose for the one for the search for Teddy episode um, that we inter like in in that one intercut lots of clips of Halay from the session zero, which was not released publicly uh, because I felt that it would lean into the like weirdness of it to have this un- not unknown but previously unheard in this arc voice uh and ultimately we decide not to gaslight our players or, or our excuse me our listeners <laughs> but i thought it was a fun idea i would have approved i would have liked that <laughs> you can use the ai voice thing that they're using to make all the presidents uh, be gamers um but just to to uh have someone who couldn't make a recording session be in it i don't know you have my I- permission to do that with me Okay, I'm not going to do that to Halei, though. <laughs> that's the last that Ben. That's the last that Ben ever physically appeared on any Dungeons and Drama Nerds. <laughs> I've actually been that thing the whole time. <laughs> I donate my mixer just so we can make a Ben soundboard. I want a Ben board. I need it for reasons. For reasons. <laughs> Many reasons. We've touched on this a little bit, but I did want to ask about. Um, I think, Chris, you you talked about this particularly with Eddie Rue's kind of like, uh, I don't know if it's an ascent or descent into the the spiritual. Um, but since this was a longer kind of campaign and the the characters are given these mechanics of crowns to kind of flesh them out as you play, uh, what was like... Uh, whether you all felt the characters kind of grow and change over the course of the campaign, I'm thinking as well of like Doris's love life, um, baby's like relation, baby and Lane's relationship with their history. Uh, what was that like for you all to explore and flesh out for you as well, Meeks? You know, to to kind of lead them into that. I played Lane as if she had marked off a lot more crowns than she had at all times, um, partially because it like 
makes sense with a shorter campaign than this game is designed for for it to escalate faster but also just because i i liked the like weird backstory that i was giving her and was like jibing with everything else we were doing in the sessions so like she became obsessed with the void before she ever marked up a crown requiring her to do that like her backstory became part of this mechanically because like the game incentivizes that as like your whole life becomes obsessed around this and we were also trying to like and we talked about this like pre-sessions a lot like how are we going to get the void stuff in here like like what's the spooky what what are the spooky things going to be this time how do we like i wonder how this is related to everything else um and just bringing that actively in was like a fun part of uh accelerating a game but also like playing it within its own uh like suggestions for you to play and it gives you suggestions of like how to play your character the more crowns you mark off or crowns of void you mark off because you're nearing like mechanical death right like you die if you mark all of them off or you don't like die but your character can't be played anymore yeah i think for me i that's super interesting ben i think for me it was it was sort of the opposite and that i came in with very little backstory. I think in our character keeper spreadsheet, it's still like Doris was a park ranger and now she's here. Like I'm not good at <laughs> I'm not good at <laughs> front loading. I'm not good at having backstory going into a thing. I'm usually like, let's just make some choices and see what happens and kind of follow the threads of a character. So for me, the crowns were really helpful in that in that way to be to, because they made me think in the moment like, okay, gut reaction what happened in my past that would be helpful now. And so then I throughout the game was able to flesh Doris out more and then use things that had already happened as a jumping off point for future. Yeah. Future story stuff. When I think you and I are actually not that different because I came up with all of my backstory things like that. I put in the episodes where they were mm -hmm. like the day before we recorded nice. those things where I was like, <laughs> I think this might fit in. And then like, depending on what was actually being said about like the spooky stuff and everything else, like, then just sort of change them a little bit to match that. So like, I didn't write any of that shit down because I was like, it's going to, it's going to depend. And like, sometimes it's not going to come out for a while because there's not going to be a time for it. And then like, obviously that then affects everything else that happens in the future. Like I didn't know that uh, I was going to call Darren until like the last session. And we're glad you did. Yes. We're so glad. I'm kind of like Shannon. I, like to leave a few things and then just improvise along the way because I especially going into a game that I did not do my homework for ahead of time um <clears throat> I'm very much just like we'll figure it out as we go it's gonna be fine I wanted to leave some very specific but also very vague at the same time um little niblets in my character description like talking about bill who went off to the war and disappeared it's like i will figure that out did i kill him did i work with somebody to kill him did he just disappear i don't know Let's are you 120 years old i was gonna yeah. say as was famously asked on air i believe which war <laughs> <laughs> i also can't tell time so i did say the wrong war um because i forgot years and math um, so we're just gonna we're gonna leave that in the vague the vagueness. I like baby being improbably old. It's fun. Yes. <laughs> you don't know. I also feel like Meeks was great about because I remember being like in session zero or right before we did session one. I think I I was made up my husband's name and was like he 
died peacefully. And then Meeks was like, oh, sure, peacefully. And I, I had been like, <laughs> I, I had been totally seriously like, yeah, peacefully. And then I was like, oh, oh maybe. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. And so it's like. <laughs> yeah, I, I same, same thing. I mean, I really didn't like the what I like so much about this game. The from again the, like the mechanics of it is it's like it really helps you to do that right it it's almost mm. like you know the the advancement the experience advancement encourages you to like take even just the crown any crown right uh, the crown of the queen or the crown of the voids like in order to use them it says now give me something from your past to make this make sense right and so if you go in knowing all of those things then I don't know what you have. Then you've already played the game in some ways, right? So what's fun is like trying to keep track of all the things that you're making up in the moment to keep like, and it does sort of like naturally allows us, has allowed allowed us to build, certainly for Eddie Rue. I mean, she didn't, all that stuff with her daughter. Like I, that was, she was, that was the biggest, I, I was like, oh no, because I am a backstory core when it comes to like creating characters. I'm like, I'm going to write you a novel. Um, <laughs> I am, I am, uh, uh, for, uh, for those who listen to Critical Role, I am Talos and Jaffe. Like, I'm like, that's, that's just me. Um, but so not knowing anything about my daughter, uh, in session, in our like session zero, I was like beating myself up over it. But then I'm really glad I didn't know because so there was so much that came up about her. Right. And just using this like unknowable character that like we never really all it is is just like a sense of loss for this character that she's like is grappling with that like we're able to sort of like make into something, you know, so that was really sort of delightful. I hope that answers the question. It's been a while since you asked it and I have ADHD. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I was asked. I think that's exactly the sort of thing I was asking about is how the characters grew and kind of emerged over the course of the game. And I guess I, I guess I was also wondering, and, and this question is going to sound kind of inane, but, uh, but, but do you feel like the, the, the characters are different people than they were at the oh start God, of yes. the, Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we Start all started very, like, gingerly kind of soft walking. And then at the end, we're just brazen. Like, I don't care. I'll take all of you down with me. It was just a very, very uh, exponential evolution of chaos. It's also yeah. like a cosmic horror, right? Like you realize how bad things are in a world that you thought previously like wasn't bad. Yeah. Yeah. Or that kind of bad. And I think that's too, what's cool is that like there's a certain degree of like hold, white knuckle holding on to sort of like the reality that you wanted. And mm -hmm. like as the world is burning and falling apart around you, uh, that it like at a certain point, like the the release and the acknowledgement of the wor world as it actually is around you is always sort of like it's literally letting go. It's it's going it's a which is a sudden violent act. And I think all four of us by the end of it, like especially that last episode, that last session, it was just like this is the moment for us all to go. OK, you know, just let go. And be like, what is whatever happens, happens. Because I know too much to not do something now, which is really fun. That was my my I will say, as the power gamer, my my big I was so proud. I was so proud of that of that Maven move that I took. That was like the religious thing that allowed me to clear my clear my board of uh uh 
of crowns of the void and like just like juice myself up in that last session i was like let's go like we did it (laughs) i will say what i think is interesting though is that it it, it's fascinating to me. We've talked about the fact that this was a like shorter session uh, or a shorter campaign uh, than like you know a home campaign of Brindlewood Bay, but a home campaign of most long form tabletop role playing games would be. And yet, I do feel like you don't always get that really like clear character development. I I don't know. Maybe that's just my experience. But Absolutely. In, like, you, know, you, it's you also, get complacent. It's, it's playing for broadcast yeah. versus playing at home. I think when you're mm-hmm. playing with a group of people, it again depends on the group of people you're playing with. But like the characters don't need to be defined in a like story arc way in quite the same way that they need to be for broadcast. And that like I certainly felt pressured to make for broadcast. I think as well, part of the gameplay having us take on conditions forced character development. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was you know because we were like emotionally challenged in certain ways or like kind of forced to navigate and i think that was a really good thing i would like to see that in other yeah um games yeah and i felt like the way the conditions were used in this game really built the it, it, it at least for me it added to the time pressure too because i remember an episode where i was like wait if i don't clear at least one, then like, I'm going to go up a crown of the void. And then I forget if I was going to die or I almost be at death. But I, but I think in a home game, you would have be like, okay, so like, I'm going to go do a scene and clear that condition. And I would never have three at once, probably because you have the space to do that. And the fact that Meeks was like condition, condition. And I was like, oh, no. And I feel I like feel these things because I need to get them off my sheet. But it's but we don't because of our but pace. Your conditions, yeah. your conditions were so juicy. Though, I know they too. were. Like yeah, they, I felt, and they just stuck I felt around. Very yeah. <laughs> you got you got conditions that were like hard to clear yeah. and like like really tough. And and my I felt like my conditions were all like inappropriate. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you mean Eddie Rue? <laughs> I liked my conditions because they made me do more with the plot and not just character development, but like setting traps for people and just like always covering my ass. It was just I like that a lot. Yeah. It forces you to be more creative. Mm-hmm. For sure. They're character that, defining, right? Like they, they, they point yeah, you they in was. a way that makes you do things that make yeah. you the character that you are. Totally. Oh, yeah. And perhaps the character, not quite the character you thought you would be. But I think this is also a nice lesson for just in general and play, being a good player in any TTRPG is like we're talking about like for broadcast versus home and like all that really changed is we had to play with intention and like that's acting, that's theater, that's performance in general. But like just going like, all right, if I'm intentional about the choices that I make, even in my home game, then like think about how far one of those casual games can actually take you. You know, like if you really commit to that, it's like it's a good lesson in general. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. But I also I I, I don't want to I, I do want to give some credit to Brindlewood Bay because hearing you all talk about it, too, what I'm thinking about is the fact that, you know, just to make the easy banal comparison, you know, in a in a and d game, you have no mechanical incentive, really, for your character to change and no mechanical, like, support for it, um, you know, because the main well, the sort of mechanic that you're tracking there is, like, how many times have I been punched in the face today and how okay am I feeling about getting punched some more? Or at the very uh, least, like, by level three. 
right? Like all that, like you get those subclasses, like thinking about like paladin oaths and stuff like that, or, or like a, a subclass, you know, in a D&D game. It happens by level three. And then you got like, and most people just like start at level five when they start playing. So it's already built. I mean, I think in this game, like we came up with our subclasses when we were at the boat having brunch and arguing about the check, like, <laughs> yeah. like, like the things we were doing in like that set, series of scenes, like those were like where we solidified, like this is the exactly the kind of old lady that we are. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the but the conditions drove character development and the crowns do as well, because especially when you take the crowns of the void, they do have those kind of. Uh, guidelines in there for like, well, now I'm obsessed with the void. So I have to like, I have to, I have to be a different person because I wasn't obsessed by that before. And now I am. So I, I, I agree with everything that we've said about like the difference between playing for an AP and playing at home. Absolutely. Um, but I do think there's something, there's some special sauce in Brindlewood Bay as well. It's brilliant. It's brilliantly made. Uh, I want to ask if there's anything that you, any of you had hoped to explore in the game that you didn't get a chance to, whether that's a like theme or a character backstory bit or anything like that. Deleted scenes, says Meeks. <laughs> oh, so many deleted scenes. I we, we were talking about, about that in the, the Discord. Oh, yeah. I wanted to know about the blood splattered playbills. <clears throat> I wish we'd mm. had time to dive into those. That looked really cool. Honestly, the whole theater mystery was top tier um, oh, we got sucked in there i felt if, like if we weren't on a schedule we would have messed around in that one a lot longer <laughs> it was so fun <laughs> yeah another deleted scene we were talking about in the discord was <laughs> what what is the email response that eddie rue and Doris get from whoever that beer, like higher up person was that we emailed that one time. That took. <laughs> I would love to know. I would love to know. Oh, that would have been fun. <laughs> I think it likely would have been like, uh, you've emailed the wrong person. Please send a handwritten letter to. You know, it was the nineties. It was yeah. the nineties. It would have. It would have been something like that. I had. I did have a note about it. I was like. I was like. They sent an email, and so I was like, "If we play long enough, you have to make this. It's a Chekhov's gun. Like you have to. You have to fix it." <laughs> but I was like, "But also, like email response time in the '90s would be what?" And I was like, "Not great." Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, I love. I don't know. You know, there's so many. What I loved also, there were so many characters that we fell in love with. Like, oh, Wendy. We oh, we loved Wendy. You know, like we just there were people that we were like taking under our wing. Janice died. That was like she was the like the, I, that was really like what who's who's running the bookstore now? You know what I mean? Like probably baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> baby just puts up posters that say no Esther allowed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, she's dead. <laughs> oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. We blew her. That's up, right. So. We did blow her up. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. that was just a funny revelate realization to watch happen. <laughs> well, they but they did. I think we did decide that sheriff, uh, the sheriff and Esther did get sick from whatever baby put in the fridge before they got to the theater. So that's a deleted scene as well. That's true. Um, motherfucking condition. Hell yeah. <laughs> And then I think we also decided that um, Demeter would have had an unhinged monologue about dramaturgy and summoning demons. I'm so glad. By the way, as soon as there was, as soon as you brought in the dramaturg, I was like, "This has got to be the big bad." 
This has got to be it. Like, and if it's not, I'll be very upset. <laughs> Again, didn't know what I was going to do with her until later. And then I was like, well, I did give her a Greek name. I should probably put her as like one of the people in the conspiracy at the very least. Were there were there more? Is you had so much good juicy like like Greek the Greek names and things. Were you like following a a plan at all? I mean, if I I was like, if you if you give somebody a Greek name, I was like, then they're then they then they're probably going to be involved in some way, even if it's just like the daughter of somebody they have no control over kind of thing. So I had a few of those. But like, I really did try to embrace what what the game was about, which is like to have no, no, no guesses. Every single time I put a clue that I thought would like let like lead some to someone specific, I tried to give you just as many clues leading you in another direction so that it was never like I'm tipping the scale, but it's going to be this person but when Demeter made it out of the of the theater unscathed I was like okay well I have Demeter the dramaturg to play with as a, as a big bad that's fun um this is a podcast about theater and tabletop role-playing games like she's gonna be a big bad <laughs> she's gonna be at least involved if she made it through the first mystery um but yeah there were a lot I mean there were a lot of fun things that I thought might happen that then didn't happen you see, you're going to put me on the spot to figure out of a few of them. And I was just like, I, I want to like all of my sheets are ridiculous. Like I these are like nine pages of like people and characters. And so uh, like I was really going to play into the fact that Esther stole uh, Etienne and like had like controlled him at the scene at the bar and like and that this was going to be this whole thing that he was actually going to ask you for your help Eddie Rue that was a fun one um there was going to be i was thinking a different scene um with uh oh god uh lighting designer and 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 Doris whose name i can't remember oh, ginger. Uh, ginger ginger yeah um cuz i was like oh there's got to be like a really like fun like fun thing there um but then it was just we were we were trying to end it and so i was like okay we just gotta go we just gotta go only the only important bits stay um oh and then i did want to like if we had some other like deleted scenes i was like oh yeah trombone man finds his shirt and all of a sudden he's like wearing a shirt <laughs> trombone you know? man and then that's the gossip on the block you know where, where did he right. where, why why no shirt for so long now he has one yeah now you he think has we can one. sneak into his house and steal his shirt <laughs> next mission Oh, and obviously the biggest deleted scene slash maybe in between seasons of Brindlewood Bay teaser episode is all female Hamlet, which I do feel yes. like Lane stars in and we are all have bit parts in in the end. That, that was another one that I was like, oh, that'd be fun. Like Mabel, I was like, oh, Mabel could like really like make it like I was like, well, maybe I'll just like scrap everything else and we'll just like have all female Hamlet now. And that'll be like the rest of it. Um <laughs> Lane really wrote a check that would bounce on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I was going to say that, I really feel like that could be the season two, like, callback to the most successful episode of the first season is like, now we're doing, I, it would be a lot of fun to do a like, uh, uh, what's the word, like, backstage drama of like, for some reason, we have to solve a mystery while also, while simultaneously we are performing all-female Hamlet that we, like, for whatever reason, cannot stop <laughs> to solve this mystery. I just need to know if Baby is Rosencrantz or Guildenstern. <laughs> I was going to yeah, say, Baby plays both that? Rosencrantz oh, and Guildenstern simultaneously. That's so funny. <laughs> I like the idea, like, Baby has, like, a soup ladle that has a wig on it, and that's one of them. <laughs> oh, it's very, very top stoppered. But it switches <laughs> each scene that she's in, which which one it is, <laughs> whether it's Rosencrantz or Guildenstern. It's so good. 
Well, I would like uh, us to keep talking forever, but we should probably begin wrapping up. So I just wanted to give some space to ask uh, players, do you have any questions uh, that you want to ask Meeks before we wrap this up? Uh, we've already done some of that, so <laughs> you may not. What part would you be in Hamlet? Well, considering I'm like a master of accents um, and like I'm so good at transforming for That's each true. role. I mean, That's just true. so I mean, like you can't even see where is Meeks in this particular And you're moment. so good at not <laughs> like taking on somebody else's <laughs> accent either. It's really great. Yeah, I'm really good at like not copying um, exactly it. what you all say. Um, <laughs> I am. I'm just like I it's like I, I act a lot and on all the time um, or something. Uh, I think that whatever, let's see, we have, we have our Hamlet. We have definitely our Marcellus. We have a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and Doris. Um, would they have gotten you on stage, Doris? Thought and brass. I I think if they got, yeah, I think if they got me on stage, I was honestly, I was thinking about it and I I think I would be the ghost and like be under the sheet and then that's it. That's, that's the whole thing. (laughs) That's a hard role. You wouldn't be the father. You'd just be the part where he doesn't speak. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're like the puppeteer. Oh, you're the puppeteer. Sheet, sheet acting by Doris Makoviak. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it would be funny to see me do a duel. Uh, it would have been really terrifying to do like a Polonius and Laertes scene. Um, that would have been ridiculous. Um yeah, I'm glad we're not doing that deleted scene, but we can imagine it in our heads. That's great. The Dungeons and Drama Nerds holiday special. Yeah! <laughs> the old yeah, female text, cast no of cuts. Hamlet. I think I think I think to maybe maybe like trying to like take this actually seriously. Meeks, is there something that you're like, ah, this moment really really like opened something up for me? Like something that happened in the like because we because so much of it is us surprising you, right? So were there something where you're like that whatever 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 it is that that person did that made me go oh, i got an idea i mean i feel like there were a lot um i should have like really reviewed my notes before sitting down here because it has been so long and i haven't had a chance to like re-listen to anything so um i mean i was whenever like like honestly like ben you would always come in with something that was so thematically just like tied to what we were doing and it was just like okay cool like i don't know how you knew that's where we were going but that's where we're going so that was always fun um and then i was always really excited when you liked people that i put in front of you and so then i just tried to keep putting them back in front of you So, yeah, I'm trying to think of specific moments, though. Oh, yeah, there was also uh, there's another deleted scene of them of them following up with Dr. Tolkien Delphine, because that's in my notes. I think, Lane, in the the like the spirit of that power, which like I completely fucked up and like we we, we, we homebrewed it to being like every mystery. There's one character that Lane gets to be. But like, I think that one would have to come back because it was so dumb. And it was like entirely a joke on me having never seen that television show. <laughs> but I would have to like watch some of the television show and then come back with uh, some more material. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think it was just it was always sort of fun to see where you guys like where your suspicion was landing and then and then trying to figure out if I agreed with you or not. So like when you were like, oh, Janice is definitely a bad guy. I was like, no, she's not. And I was like, "Okay." so they think that that's good to know. And then um, and then it was like, uh, who is it? Oh, maybe the sheriff's a good guy. I was like, 
No, he's not. Um, so glad you think that. So it was just like it was like it was those things. But then it was like it was being open to the idea that there were some things I didn't know. Like I didn't know that Ginger was going to be in on it until right before like when I was planning the last session. And then I was just like, it just has to happen. Um, sorry, Doris. Um, but I was like, it just has to happen. Oh, that tattoo, tattoo parlor. Fuck yes. Yeah. Yeah. How did how did uh, how did he blow up? In your mind, how did how did the guy die? <gasps> That's a great question. Yeah, so um, it was going to be an actual machine that what's his butt had made um, and had made like on commission from the people for like I was trying to tie the void mystery into it, but not fully so it could still be its own standalone thing. But it was a machine that he had sketched out and you had sort of found, um, but that they had decided to build because uh, he was uh, he knew too much. But now I honestly don't remember what I originally thought versus what you all came up with, because then there was a baby. And there was like, oh, maybe he's being put birthed out of the baby. I was like, never thought about that. Great. Never thought about that. That's great. We're going to use that. That's fantastic. So, but yeah, my entire thought was like, I don't really have to figure out entirely how he does it as long as he's just kaboomed. Um, and you just I have to figure out who does it. like an artificial heart or something. Oh, nice. But- that's what or just supernatural or just like I, I thought I thought it was like every time he hang, hanged himself, it was like a death that he was storing in his body. Like the you prestige. Know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I was trying to like they like uh, it's sort of it's unclear. Like I love I love this game a lot, but there were so many times I was like, I really wish there was a few more handholds on some of this stuff. Like, can these other mysteries have supernatural elements? And the answer is maybe. Um, But also it's going to murk up some of the other things that you do. And so I was like, okay, so everything has to not be supernatural until it is supernatural. But then we were going so fast. I was like, whatever, we can just like we can just make some of these things feel supernatural. Well, also, we it's we were not forbidden from making it supernatural. So we did. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we forced that on you, (laughs) which I loved. Like, I mean, that's where I wanted it to go. But I was like, is this too soon? And so, like, I just kept like reinforcing normalcy. And then when it when it suited us, I was like, great. Yeah, we'll definitely go back into supernatural. Um, And like and I just let you all think that some things were supernatural that I was like, "Mm, it might not be. Um, But also then whenever you theorized and it was supernatural, I was like, great, it's supernatural. We've decided (laughs) that's definitely what happened. Which, again, is, like, why the mechanic of it is so cool. Like, it's just, like, it's it, it not only rewards, like, I think everybody has sort of said something about this. It rewards you all making big decisions, but it also rewards me being a really big dick to you all, which I love, right? Like, it's, like, it's like very much, like, hey, the bigger dick you are, like, the better off this is going to be. So, like, kill your players constantly, and then they have to, like, readjust and take on crowns and do this stuff. Give them conditions constantly. Like, that was, like, the one thing um, I, I didn't, there there was only like one um, actual play that I listened to and I only listened to a couple episodes of it um, uh, because I just I don't have I don't have a whole lot of time to listen to two hours. I appreciate these listeners who do. Um, right. So I'd only listened to like a couple of those. But the one that I had listened to was Jason Cordova talking about the importance of conditions. Like if you ever are lost in like what to do just give a condition. And so I always was like that's why I was like I'm just going to keep giving those out until you're all full up. It's just my plan. It's my entire strategy every game. Try to give as many out as I could. Something I'm curious about is um, 
we we obviously and we've we've gotten to this a little bit in this session here but we like tried to end things like pretty fast in that last session because we knew we like didn't want to extend the episode count even more um so like we sort of went into like free form like no rules territory right at the end i i do wonder if we hadn't done that like what were things beyond the uh the dramaturg monologue that you would have liked to like throw our way or like dwell on or or give to us yeah i mean yes the bar i think i yeah i was like i the the bar scene beauregard's bar i think um uh was one that i was like oh i really want this to be like a cool like moment and scene uh where i think a lot would have been introduced and everybody was going to come back to the bar so it was going to be this thing and i was like oh maybe maybe it'll catch on fire maybe it'll do this maybe it'll do that you all ended up blowing up stuff anyway um which was great the other things that i was thinking about was like I hadn't really planned what the final ritual was going to look like. I kind of had a vague idea, but I was like, oh, I don't think we're going to get to it. This is only like we're only doing like one session, like we're only doing the first part of the session today. So I hadn't fully planned out what the ritual was going to look like. I was like, it'll come to me when we get there. And then I was like, oh, great. okay. well, I guess Teddy's in a cage. I don't remember if Teddy's in a cage. Something happened to Teddy and she's in the room somewhere. Um, And then like I think I had like more of an idea of like what they were trying to do. But I think mostly what I was interested in in talking about was more about like how the monster and who the monster was and like who was in on it and why. Um, but all of that wasn't necessary. So it's okay. <laughs> like it was really what's so great about this game was like, no, you build this game with each other so much that the ending really is just a full collaboration of nonsense in a great way and not nonsense in a like, none of this makes sense, but nonsense in the way of just like, how can we get where we need to go um, together which was really fun um, from a storytelling point of view as somebody who doesn't necessarily love to end things. You have mentioned that before on this podcast. I haven't listened to anything again, so I don't know <laughs> what I've said before. I was telling my students earlier today, if I repeat myself, please tell me because I will. It just will happen. No, it, it came up when I interviewed you. You, you met, At the time, you had not finished the game yet and you mentioned that you were like, nervous about it because uh you don't enjoy doing that um i wanted to ask before we leave meeks did you have any questions you wanted to ask the players oh god um yeah i think like the consensus was that um our favorite location was the theater but i'm curious if there were any others that you were just like oh that's a fun one tattoo parlor yeah it was awesome for, for background, I live in Portland, Maine, which does have a community college with its own lighthouse and also a boat restaurant. So it was very easy for me to picture all of these places. <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's like I was it was it was very easy to live in this world. So I had a great time of all of those. And like, oh, the summer people do do that. <laughs> like, so, so many things. That's just a very that's just a me thing. But I yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, I, I like the, the college slash lighthouse as well. That was like a we did some fun shit there. Mm-hmm. Honestly, they were all they were all really fun. Oh, and the bookstore was great. I just remember that was like one of the first like one of the first things you had us do, I feel like, was what's special about this bookstore. And that was really cool. Honestly, I wish that had been more of a meeting point. Obviously, we couldn't because turf wars, but like (laughs) we were handling it. Um, This is when the game transitions into Blades in the Dark and you start claiming (laughs) Uh, (laughs) sections of the town. It's fine. But yeah, I really did like that bookstore. I would have loved to go back and not have it um, become a hellhole, almost literally. 
Well, thank you all so much for joining us and for this truly incredible campaign of Brindlewood Bay. Getting to watch and listen to you all collaborate and create together was really an absolute joy. Uh, So we on the podcast will be on a brief hiatus for the next couple of weeks. But for our listeners, uh, then you can tune back in as we start up our pulse-pounding campaign of ARC, Doom Tabletop RPG, in which time itself is going to be our enemy. So thank you all, uh, and we'll see you next time. Dungeons and Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel Dean. Our Brindlewood Bay campaign features Christopher Dierksen as Eddie Rue Dubois, Ben Ferber as Lane Walter, Corey Flores as Baby Garcia, Shannon Wade as Doris Makoviak, and our keeper, C. Meeker. If you'd like to help us continue exploring the intersection of theater and tabletop role-playing games, consider leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice or supporting us and getting access to our patron-only bonus content at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddramanerds. You can find our social media and website links, including our cast bios, at the link tree in our show notes. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Dramanerds. There's a long Dungeons and Drama Nerds tradition of ship hosting the chat while you're not actually playing. I've never done yeah. that. No, <laughs> no. Definitely. No. no, Ben's a model player and a mod- model host. Ben is the shit king. <laughs> <laughs>